Dearly Father, Lord, as we open up your word, may your Holy Spirit, Lord, enter our hearts and our minds. May we understand and apply what we have, what you have for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, it's funny, you were speaking about Eli. Uh, Eli came out and helped us out a few weeks ago with uh, a skid steer. That is a fun toy. You know, it's an amazing tool. So my wife and I, we, you know, we got our 30 acres out there. We're trying to fence it in. And, and uh, we got seven horses. I don't know why we got seven horses. There's only four of us right now. But we got seven horses, and we're trying to fence in our pasture. And it's been just an ongoing project and stuff. And um, I talked to Eli and said, hey, like, can you help us out? We got to clear the fence line and everything. So he went out there with the skid steer and, and um, um a brush hog, I guess, of, of a sort and stuff, and uh, he helped us out, and and uh, we got it done in two days, you know, and that thing, that machine is just incredible. It is so cool. It is He's so cool. With that yeah, he is. He is yeah, he is. And, uh, you know, it's um, it was funny because afterwards, when he was about to leave, he loaded up the skids here, loaded up all the tools and everything. He says, well, now your work begins. I thought to myself, what are you talking about? You already did all the hard stuff. No, we started pounding in T-posts. <laughs> I left, I'm like, yeah, now the work does begin. You know, we're stretching out fence line and everything. And, and um, Anna's out there with the boys, and we have the boys bringing the T-posts at a time and stuff. And we marked out the fence line. And uh, Mike King from Cooper, I worked with him for a little while. And, and uh, we were putting T-posts in every 10 foot, and every 11th post is supposed to be a wooden post. And there's supposed to be H braces every so often, so far, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, I was telling Anna, let's do it right, you know, because we right now we have horses, but we want to eventually, you know, raise some sheep and stuff. And and uh, I told Anna, let's let's do it right. Let's take our time and do it right the first time, so we don't have to come back and do it again and do it again and do it again. And I've had the habit in life, especially in school, to try to find a shortcut, you know, and it never pays off. Shortcuts, at least in school, <laughs> not just in school, in life, shortcuts don't pay off, you know. So I told Anna, let's do it right. So I have the boys out there with me and stuff, and, and they're measuring, and we're trying to, um, we, we had stretched out a, a, um, uh, the barbed wire fence, so we have a nice straight line, because I've had the, the habit before of just eyeballing things, and I don't know what's up with my eyes. I can see, I have great vision, but I can't, my, it's like my eyes play tricks on me, and it does this number. <laughs> and and uh, so I said, let's just put the barbed wire down and stretch it out nice and straight so we know exactly where every T-post is going to be and make sure that this sucker is nice and straight so it looks really good because when my boys get older, you know, if we're still here and the Lord hasn't come back, I hope that the Lord comes back before my boys get older. But if He has not come back, I want my boys to be able to come back and be, tell their kids, we helped put this fence up. I want them to be able to have that experience, to be proud of what they have done. To be able to reflect back and say, well, I was just your age when we put up this fence ago, which was, I, mean, I don't know, 40 years ago, however old they're going to be when they start having kids and stuff. But I want them to be proud of that. There's something to be said about looking back at something that you have done in the past and, and being able to, to, to be, take pride in it. So I told Anna, you know, let's make sure we get the correct posts and make sure that we get the right fencing and make sure we do everything, do everything right so this way we don't have to come back and redo it every five or ten years, you know. And it, it's a lot of like this in the book of Luke. You know, here in the book of Luke chapter 15, if you want to open your Bibles with me, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We're just going to read scripture here. We know this story. But there's some parts in this story that we leave out. There's some parts in this story that when Jesus is teaching this parable, 
there's difficult family dynamics. There's difficult, I know everybody here has a perfect family and nobody has issues, but there are family dynamics here that, that teaches the lesson. You know, my, my, and it seems to be that the, the, the more family members, the more family dynamics, the more it's, you have to handle things with, with grace and with tact. You know, it's a, my, fa- my mom comes from a, from a family of seven. My dad comes from a family of eight. And they're different family dynamics. And not everybody is the same. Not everybody agrees. There's disagreements. So how do you handle those disagreements? How do you continue to stay together, you know? Here this man has two boys, at least that are mentioned. We don't know if he had any daughters and stuff, but he has two boys. And verse 11 says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So let's pause there for a second. So here's the story. We, we know it. I'm just going to briefly touch on some highlights or highlight some, some things here. This man had two boys. The younger one says to the father, Father, give me my, my portion of the inheritance now. I want to be able to live now how I want to live. You, we know you're eventually going to die, so just give me what, what belongs to me. Very disrespectful back then. Very disrespectful in today's world too. That's something that you should never re- request. You know, and on top of that, the, the father goes and he actually does it. He divides his, li- his livelihood. This was going to impact him financially. He was not dead yet. Typically, in that part of the world, whenever somebody was in, in, in whenever they would pass away, the inheritance, the birthright blessing would go to the older son. He would get the majority of it, and then it was his responsibility to take care of the younger siblings, to take care of the family, to keep that going on. Do you understand the family dynamics now? Do you see the challenges that this might be facing? Put yourself in this situation. What if you were a cousin to this young man? What if you were a, a friend to this young man? What if you were a friend to the father? Ladies, what if this was your friend's son? What if this was your own son? How would you feel for your son to say something like that? It's not easy. But then this, this, this young man foolishly goes and he squanders everything away. Reckless life. And then a famine arrives. It always seems to be that way. A famine arrives. He goes and he, well, he needs to work now. I don't know how much the father had. I don't know how much money he had. He might have had a lot and spent it all very, very quickly or may not have gotten much and still spent it quickly. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he has nothing to show for. Nothing to show for. And then he has to work. Shoot. Now I've got to work for someone else. And he says he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods of the pigs. I don't know about you. So the other day I was out there with, the, with my horses and stuff, and we were feeding the horses. And, and I don't know what these dudes who make the, the, the feed for horses thinks. Dog food stinks. It doesn't smell nice. But horse feed, it's a little bit different. I poured my horse feed into this, uh, into this, this bin, and we got our horse feed from this guy in Mount Vernon, 2S Feed Store. And just such a nice man, and, and, and a lot of uh, 
knowledge. He used to sell uh, stuff for, for Purina down in South Texas for, for many years. And now he's back and he opened up his own feed store. And I went and I bought uh, three bags of this feed. You know, I told him, this is what we want our horses to look like. He says, I have the feed for you. I was, he's like, it's not Purina. It's actually cheaper, but it's way better. I was like, what, what do you mean? And he told me, yeah, he's like, I used to sell Purina stuff. And this was our biggest competitor. And this is better than the stuff that I used to sell. So I said, okay, well, I'll take three bags of it. So I took those three bags and I put them in my bin. And the thought crossed my mind. I think every man at heart, we're still little boys. The thought crossed my mind. I wonder what this would taste like with milk. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just me and the group that I grew up with. But the boys my age, when I was a little boy, we used to eat glue, crayons, all kinds of crazy stuff. I never did the booger thing. That's, that's too far. That's too far. <laughs> I'll never admit to it, David. <laughs> but this, this, this feed, it hit me. I was like, I was like, huh? What would this taste like with cereal? If it's good for horses, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. If your wife finds out, I thought to myself, I'll be in so much trouble, and she'll laugh at me. <laughs> but it smelled good. It smelled good. Have you ever been so hungry? And you smell something, and you're, what does your stomach do? Started grumbling, saying, hey, give me some of that. It smells good. Luckily, I wasn't so hungry that I would take my horse's feet for myself. <laughs> but this young man says that he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I Perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Did he finish what he had practiced, what he had rehearsed? Remember, he had prepared this elaborate speech. Was he able to, to, to finish that? No. Why? Because his father didn't let him. It says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for my, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. It reminds me of, of uh, the first time I took Anna down to, the, to Veracruz, Mexico, where, where I lived as a little boy. That's where my family lived, my dad's family. And it's out in a ranch. I mean, for when I lived there, when I was a little boy, we didn't have running water. We didn't have electricity. We had to get our water from a spring. And um, for light at night, you could light a candle. It was, it was like the Old West. You know, we got around on horseback. My dad had a truck, but it was like the Old West. So we, I told Anna, you know, and Anna's, she's tough. <laughs> she's a tough country girl. So we went down there. I wanted everybody to meet my, my, my girlfriend. I knew I was going to be marrying Anna. And I wanted my family to meet her, and I wanted her to meet my family. This way she could realize and know a little bit where I was from, you know, something that made me. So we're walking up to the ranch where, where my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles lived. And at this point in time, my grandma must have been about 70 in her early 70s. 
And she saw us, her and my aunt, and they ran to where we were. And here we are carrying our suitcases and stuff. And Anna's behind me because she's kind of nervous, you know. And uh, this is around Christmas time. So we're walking up the hill and they're running towards us. And my grandma just gives me a big hug and she's trembling with excitement. Now, I didn't leave on a bad note like this, son. That's understandable. It's understandable for a grandmother, for a father, for a mother, for a sibling to come to greet you with love and joy. My grandma, she was so excited. She was trembling. She kept looking at me. And she, her cheek was still so cool. And just kissing me, kissing me, kissing me, kissing me. I was, I, I was choked up. And then she saw Anna. And she grabbed and went and grabbed Anna and hugged her. And she was telling her in Spanish, Que hermosa estas, que hermosa estas. You are so beautiful. And kissing her cheek. And Anna's eyes got teary. Because she had never felt this outpouring from a stranger. Here this, this man sees his son coming from a long ways off, runs to him, rather than taking a belt to him, falls on his neck and kisses him. He's so excited to be able to see his son. The son had prepared an elaborate speech. I'm no longer to be called your son. If nothing else, please, may I just be your servant. But the son didn't let him. The father didn't let him, I mean. Started kissing his cheek. Before the father could even finish, or before the son could even finish this, bring this, my boy, he stinks. <laughs> bring him the best robe. Let me ask you, who had the best robe in the house? The father. Who do you think they were fattening up the calf for? For the father. I love that the Lord's uh, stories often have food in it. <laughs> Read Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I stand at the door and knock to do what? To eat with you. I want to come in and live with you. I want to come in and eat with you. I had a friend up in, in Michigan. His name was Tim. And we went over to his house one day. They had invited us over for, for some sort of meal. And he's showing me around his place. And he had some cows and he had some turkeys. And he goes, yep, that's Thanksgiving and that's Christmas. <laughs> and and uh, it was funny, you know, his, his cows. He would buy some cows from the Andrews Dairy. And, um, you know, he would fatten them up and stuff, and they would fatten them up for, for food. That's how they, they wanted to raise their own meat. They wanted to raise their own food. There's nothing wrong with that. This man, they brought the fatted calf. The fatted calf, was the purpose was for the father. The father was the one. He was the one held up in, in, in high respect, high regard. The father says, bring him the best robe. In other words, bring him my best robe. Bring the fatted calf, the one that we've been fanning for my, for my birthday or whatever it was, for my wedding anniversary with your mother. Bring that one. We're going to eat that one. Bring the best. And then he says, bring the signet ring. Why? He was essentially reestablishing his son to continue to do family business in his name. It's called redemption. It's called redemption. But the beautiful part, it says, verse 24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. How would you feel? How would you feel if you had a son who would die? Your heart would break. And how would you feel if that son was brought back to life? This father is literally speaking about the heartbreak that he felt. It wasn't like back then you could text your son. 
You can't text your son and be like, hey, mijo, that's how I refer to my boys. Hey, mijo, I hope you're doing good. Message me sometime. Let's, let's catch up. It's not like they had telegraph. My, my grandpa worked for the telegraph office in New, York for tw- in New York, in Mexico for 21 years. He still had the habit. Till his dying day, it didn't matter where he was. It would get so annoying. That's what he was doing. The entire time. If he was thinking of a Bible verse, it just came natural. He wasn't even thinking he was doing it anymore. So, as a matter of fact, he had to put a glove on because his hand would hurt so much. He said, Mijo, I can't even help it. If I'm reading something, I'm transmitting the message. It's not like you could send a, a telegraph to your son. You can't, you didn't have social media. Hey, uh, how are you doing? Hope you're doing good. For all you know, for all this father knew, his son could have been dead. To be able to, to have to live like that with that insurity. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. My neighbor rides with me too. He's Mennonite and his family is Mennonite as well. And I got him a job to work with me. And he says, they don't re- we were talking about fairs. And I said, well, if you ever get a chance, you got to go to the Texas State Fair. But that's one thing you probably want to do when your kid's are a little bit older or just once in your life. I was like, because it is so huge, it is so crowded. I was like, it makes me nervous. I said, I didn't enjoy it, I told him. I was like, I'll be honest, I did not enjoy it. Noah, I don't think Noah was even able to walk yet, and Levi was barely walking. And that was my biggest fear, to lose my boys in that group. That's terrifying. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. But then there's a shift in the story. Now his older brother, now the old, his older son, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Reason to rejoice, right? This is his brother. His own blood. His little brother. I remember when I was uh, growing up, my brother, man, God does great miracles in people's lives. My brother had a big mouth. He still has a big mouth. (laughs) But now he uses it to proclaim the gospel. He had such a big mouth, everybody wanted to beat him up. And I wasn't much bigger, but now they have to deal with two of them. (laughs) You know, Everybody wanted to beat my brother up. And a few times after school, they came up to us and they wanted to fight. And I was a little bit more short-tempered back then. And I wasn't afraid. I was like, let's go then. He was my little brother. And I said, if you want to touch him, you're going to have to come through me. This brother, how did he feel? There is something about an older brother having to take care of his younger brother. That's how I was raised. You take care of your little brother. So I'm raising my, my boys. You watch your little brother. He won't listen to me. <laughs> and Noah's a little bit bigger than Levi, a little bit heavier, a little bit stronger. So it's funny, Anna and I like to watch him wrestle. So what Noah, my youngest, will do to Levi, his older brothers, he sits on him. <laughs> then he wins. It's so funny, he'll just grab him and knock him down and just sit on him. And he'll cross his arms and Anna and I are just laughing. That's what the older sibling is supposed to do. The older sibling is supposed to take care of the younger one. He's supposed to be happy. 
But he was angry. Verse 28. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Man, this is beginning to get a little bit awkward, huh? Have you ever been in those situations? I have. Sometimes with your own family, where things just get awkward. I remember doing a funeral one time. They just about broke up in a fight. We had to physically restrain family members. Yeah, and then everybody else is kind of like, where's the door? It's time for us to leave now. I don't know what to do. Well, I don't prepare us for this in class when, I'm taking, when I was taking theology. How do you deal with in a funeral when two siblings want to fight, when they want to duke it out? <laughs> he was angry. His father had to go out and plead with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I, make mer- that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and killed the fa- you killed the fatted calf for him. How is, this, how is the older son living his life? A lot of times we, we, we see this story and we, we see the beautiful part about the father. And it is, it's amazing how a father would run to his son and love him. Not even throw it in his face. Oh, now you want to come back. You're hungry, huh? You look like you lost some weight. Where's all that money? Where's all that money that I gave you? Isn't this the robe you left with? What, you can't even afford to change your clothes anymore? He could have said all kinds of mean things and it would have been right to do that, couldn't, wouldn't it? Would anybody have ever said anything to the, to the father? Nobody. The younger son in today's standards probably would have deserved it. Oh, now you want to come back. Not what, you want me to give you your old room back? This father didn't even think of any of that. None of that mattered anymore because like he said, he was happy because now his son was alive. He was dead. He was as good as dead. And now he's come back to life, he said. Instantly reinstated him. Didn't say, okay, well, sorry, son. Uh, I already gave you your portion. Let me see what I can do to try to help you. No, just instantly reinstated him as his son. But here, the older brother, the older son, the one who never left home, the one who was always faithful, the one who was hardworking, the one who was responsible, the one who the parents or probably other people would have said, why can't you be a little bit more like your older brother? You know what I'm talking about. Why can't you be a little bit more like your older brother? Look, he works hard. He wakes up early. He's obedient to your father. Why can't you do what he does? He saves his money. But what is the older son doing here? He's living his life as if he was a servant. That's the problem. He was faithful. He did all these things because he was living his life as if he was a servant to the father. He wasn't behaving like a son. Have you thought about that? But what did the father want most of all of these, of both of his boys? He wanted his sons to be sons, not to be servants. That's why the, son, the older son says, Look, I've been so faithful to you. I've worked hard for you. I've served you. 
and you wouldn't even give me a, a young goat to eat with my friends. He said it. I have served you. I have been your servant, is what the son has says. Verse 31, it says, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother. Do you see the irony there? How the son, the older son is so mad, he's like, your son, he doesn't call him his brother. Your son has done all these evil things, but the father has to remind him, your brother has come back. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So I have to ask this morning, how many of us live our lives as Christians, but as servants? So we do because we have to do. We do because this is what our boss tells us to do. There's a difference. There's a difference between a, a, your, your, your boss, your supervisor, the owner of the company, whatever it may be, tells you to do something. And once you take ownership in it, because this is your family business, and you say, this is what I want to do. I want this to succeed. There's a difference. There's a difference in society today. When people take ownership of their responsibilities, they tend to do things better. They tend to do their best. I see this. I didn't see it so much in pastoral ministry because in pastoral ministry, typically you work alone. <laughs> I'm not clocking in. I'm not clocking out. This company that I work for, you know, they tell you be here at six. You'll be done by three. And it's so frustrating when guys walk in at six o five, six ten. They call in on a Monday because, you know, <laughs> they were having too much fun on Sunday. But when people show up, those people who show up on time, those people who leave on time, those people who come back after break, those people who come back after lunch on time, they tend to be better workers, huh? Because they take ownership in what they do. They take ownership in what they do. This older son, the father has to remind him, because the problem is that his, this older son had gotten into this routine, had gotten in his mind, I must be a servant to my father. And the father has to remind him, you're not my servant, you are my son. So many years that this young man must have lived his life as a servant rather than as his son. He wanted both boys. He wanted both sons. The one who came back and received redemption. The one who was always there. He wanted them to understand, you are my son. Live as my son. Don't live your life as my servant. How many of us do the same thing in church? How many of us come to church every single Saturday? How many of us return tithe and offerings? How many of us do this? How many of us do all the things that we're supposed to do? Because we think that this is what we must do to, to, be, to be saved. Or we think this is what I must do because this is what is expected of me. Rather than doing it because this is what our Father in Heaven wants us to do. There's a difference. There's a difference in, in our mentality of this is what I must do and this is what I want to do. There's a difference. Because it tends to be that those people who, who want to do or have to do things because this is what I'm expected to, as a, to do as a Christian, this is what I'm expected. I'm expected to show up to church. I'm expected to dress this way. I'm expected to, to, to return tithe and offerings. I'm expected to do these things. Those people tend to be legalistic. 
It's an ugly word. But it tends to be the people that realize that they are the children of God. That they tend to show grace. They tend to show love to their neighbor. How do we live our lives? Are you a servant? Or are you a child of the Most High? If you think to yourself you are a servant of the Most High, you've missed it. You've missed it. You don't know what you're doing. You are a child of the Most High. To me, that's beautiful. God hasn't called you to just be His servant. He hasn't called you to be His servant at all. He has called you to live your life as His son, as His daughter, because He has an inheritance for you. John chapter 14, verse 1. What does, he, what does He have in heaven? He has a great ranch up in heaven where you will be driving T-posts and you will serve Him the rest of your life, right? For all of eternity, you will serve Him. You will clock in, you will clock out. Is that what Jesus said He went to prepare for us? Why? Who gets a mansion? A servant gets a mansion? Who gets a mansion? The child of God. The child of God. Brothers and sisters, there are people out there in the world who don't know that they are lost. There are other children of God in the world who live reckless lives. We must be careful not to say, oh, we don't want them here with us. We must be careful not to say, well, oh, well, they're kind of lost. We must help them understand that there's life when you come home to Jesus. You are found when you come home to Jesus. That is our responsibility. What would this story have been like? What would this story have been like if the older son would have seen his father's heart broken and would have run to find his younger brother and said, Come home. Mom and dad miss you. I miss you. Please come home. Don't live your life as a servant. Don't live your life as a servant of the Most High. Live your life as the child of the Most High. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, because you don't call us your servants. You don't call us your peasants. You call us your children, your sons, your daughters, Lord. Lord, may we live that life. May we live that life victoriously. May we go out, Lord, and find the other children who are lost, the other children who are dead. May we point them to Jesus Christ who gives life abundantly, Lord. May we fall on their necks and kiss them. May, Lord, may we show them, Lord, that Jesus Christ wants to put His robe on them and put His signet ring on them. May they take their rightful place as children of God. May they understand, Lord, that you are preparing mansions for them as well, not just for us. Lord, may we understand that you are preparing a mansion for us, Lord, that you're not preparing a work barrack. You are preparing homes for your family, and that is what we are. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.